0: Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Bridget here in the studio. In the studio, really? Yeah, we're going to say I'm in a studio today. In the studio with Monique Mailey. Monique, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. It's going to be a lot of fun. I truly believe this with all that is inside of me. Now, yeah. Monique, how long have you been a professional speaker
1: Oh, Lordy, a uh, professional speaker. That's a really good question. Um, I, I think that, so my first professional job was as an actor. So I don't know if you consider that uh, professional speaking. I do, um, because my definition of public speaking is really anything we do with somebody other than ourselves, because we are our worst audience and our dogs, which is our best audience. And to all the cat lovers, which I love cats, too, just want to say I don't include cats because if your cats are like the cat I had, my cat could care less what was going on. So I prefer to think of dogs only. Um, And so I think, you know, if we we go back to that, my first paid acting gig, I was eight Um, after college when I started, I was 22. Um, And we don't
0: have to talk about how old I am now, but it's a lot of years in between. Okay, eight, my goodness. Now, I don't want you to think back all the way to the age of eight. Not that that would be that far back, probably 10 years ago. I don't want you to think back to the age of eight. But think back to one of your first speaking engagements, whether it was on a stage, whether it was in front of a camera for a production. Think about that engagement or that speaking performance and then think about one of your most recent ones what would you say is the biggest difference between the two it's an interesting question I think that what I would love
1: to do is use the example um, especially because we're all in this world Um, the first time I had to be on film versus the you know on stage and I was in my 20s and now, because now my speaking is all virtual, I haven't been doing in-person speaking for almost two years now, as we all know, and it really is such a different medium and I, and from the outset um, i for as as natural as it felt for me to be a speaker um in person, on stage, all of that. Uh, The minute I got in front of a camera when I was young, it just, I felt like a fish out of water. And I think that even though speaking for me has always been something that was really comfortable, I think that the new medium um, put me in a position that I think a lot of my clients find themselves in, those people, or maybe some of your audience members who aren't comfortable or naturally comfortable with this sort of thing. And I think the difference between then and now is twofold one, I was very much in my head in that I spent most of my energy thinking about being uncomfortable. And that doesn't read well, right? The audience doesn't know why you're uncomfortable. You may be uncomfortable because your shoes are too tight or because you're bullshitting your way through a speech um, or just because the technology freaks you out. But whatever that reason is, if it's in your head, that's your reality. Now the difference is that not only am I not in my head, but I am also much more comfortable with the tools um, and how to use them effectively. And part of those tools, which I was always very comfortable with, even from a young age, was my body, my voice, my energy, those things that we do to bring to a, a speaking engagement when it's live and in person. Um, and now I know how to master that using this tool, this additional tool of the camera, which was something when I was young and starting out in my twenties, I, I really didn't know and wasn't comfortable
0: with. Mm. You said that if if something is in your head, it's your reality. And like you were saying, the audience has no clue what's going on inside of your head. They just know there's somebody up there that looks a hot mess. <laughs> and they don't, they don't, what well, sounds a hot mess. They don't know right. if it's small shoes. They don't know if it's because you broke a button on your blazer or the technology wasn't working. It, it reminds me of something that I've said before. What gets your attention is what will get the audience's attention. So if you do have a tech fail and you're sitting here and you keep talking about, oh, you know, the, X, Y, Z slide was supposed to be up, but now it's not. And this is glitching and that's a problem. And you keep harping on that as opposed to just going on with your content. Whatever gets your attention gets your audience's attention.
1: Oh, completely.
0: I, I, it's so,
1: it's, it's it's, I mean, theater training is so ideal for so much of this. And one of the many and varied reasons why is because as an actor, you just, I mean, the show must go on. The show keeps going. You don't stop and tell the audience, hey, I'm sorry he missed his cue or or that prop broke or I forgot to cross the stage or I was in a play. I tell this story all the time to my clients because it's so relevant. It's like I was in a play, I was in a production of King Lear, Shakespeare play, and suddenly so the actor I was in the scene with went into a Hamlet speech. Well, I can't say, hey, audience, let me wait till he's out of Hamlet and back into Lear, right? I just had to keep going. You have to make it work. And... That requires being fully present. And being fully present means you're not in your head. And the two key things that I, I try and tell clients when I try and help them with uh, public speaking of any kind, presentations or, you know, or the myriad of other types of public speaking, that, as I defined it earlier, is number one, public speaking is an act of generosity. We often go into giving a speech as thinking about what we want to say. And what you want to say doesn't matter. What matters is what the audience needs to hear. And if we go in there with the mindset of, I want to share this information. I can't wait to tell people about this exciting opportunity. I want to make sure that when they hear this bad news, um, that it doesn't, you know, demotivate them or whatever it may be. And if you go in there with an act of generosity, by your very nature, you're going to get out of your head because your energy is focused on your audience and not on you. Because that negative energy swirling around in your head is not going to serve you. It's certainly not going to serve your audience, but ultimately comes back and doesn't serve you.
0: And even when you're running meetings, you are not You're still doing a presentation. And so when you were talking about delivering bad news, it makes me think about how many CEOs or division managers or what have you have had to get up in front of their teams, in front of their employees and deliver bad news. But when you come from a place of generosity where you say, yes, yes. Uh, Q4 wasn't all that fantastic. Here's why it wasn't great. But this is what we're going to do differently. This is how we're going to shine a light on the future. So when you go in there thinking about how do I uplift, how do I help them see past the present, if the present isn't so beautiful, when you get outside of your head and really look at speaking as not just giving information, but bringing about some kind of a transformation, it just changes things.
1: Completely. And and ultimately, it's not only great for the team or for the audience that you're speaking to, it comes back and serves you in the end, right? This generosity, like all generosity, does pay dividends to you. And and I think of it as, you know, for those uh, in your audience who are a parent, if we're in a situation where the child is scared, right, we want to reassure the child. If we are also scared and the child knows we are scared, there's no way that child is going to be reassured. If we focus our energy on them and making sure they're okay, making sure our audience has what they need to be effective or successful or overcome a challenge or get through bad news or whatever that may be, um, we're going to have a better outcome. And that just requires focusing on them and not focusing on
0: ourselves. Right, right. Hands down. Monique Maley is president of articulate pers Art- what is wrong with me? Articulate persuasion. <laughs> Where'd that come from? And I would mess up on the word articulate. Oh, the word articulate. That's articulate. okay. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to be precise. I'm I'm going to jump in and make a point before I continue with sharing a little bit more about Monique, everybody. When you make a mistake. Did you notice how I just rolled with it? I didn't make a big deal about it. I even laughed about it. And if that's part of your personality where you're okay with a little bit of self-deprecation, if there is a hiccup, don't make a big deal out of it. Just kind of roll with it, laugh it off, maybe make a joke about it, but keep going. But here's the other point I want to make about missteps when it comes to presenting. Missteps are okay. They actually make the path for memories. You probably won't remember anything else, but you'll remember this right here because this misstep made me sound human as opposed to robotic and someone who does not make mistakes at any time, right? So mistakes and missteps, if you will, make you seem human and they make you more relatable. So don't freeze up if you do have a little bit of a hiccup. Just keep going. I
1: think that one of the challenges, and I particularly find this with my female clients, I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but um, I find sometimes when we do make that misstep, I wouldn't even go as far as a mistake, because it's not a mistake, just a misstep. Um, That somehow that's a judgment on us or our value. Like your value is so much more than one word, right? It's like, and if your only value is pronouncing one word correctly, like then you go need to go find a different job because it's not, it's <laughs> right. not serving you or anybody else. And I just think right. that we put value judgments and we think audiences really aren't judging us. We are busy judging ourselves. Again, that's why getting out of our head is so key. But if you judge yourself about that, then we are inviting other people to judge us. Um, so if you just walked through it, yeah, I skipped, I missed that section. You know, I it's okay. It's okay. Did the audience get value? Did they learn something new? Are they motivated to to, to do something that they might not have been doing? Do they have a roadmap on how to achieve something they weren't sure how to achieve? Did you give them an aha moment that maybe helps them do something differently at work? Like, that's all that matters. That is all that matters. And risk one word is not going to be a hit or miss on that at all.
0: And I'm going to flip the coin and say, if there is someone in the audience who does judge you based on that one misstep, well, that person isn't your key audience. That person isn't your target audience member, because that person needs to go back to the drawing board and re Well, and chances are, if they are
1: judging you, it's because they're judging themselves in some way. Ah. It ain't about you. It ain't about you. I mean, I think that with speaking, that's what we have to keep coming back to. It ain't about me. And the minute it's not about me, it's so freeing. I mean, all that fear dissipates the minute it's not about me. It's not about what they think of me. It's not about whether or not they think I'm smart enough. It's not about whether the content is great. It's, it's not about if I look good in this outfit or if my lighting is working right, or if I pronounce the the company name correctly, right? What, what it's about is, are they engaged? Are they interested? Am I providing something useful, valuable? Um, do I stay with them? You know, later. the The thing that I I tell everybody, and I I wrote a book recently, there's a whole chapter about this because I think it's so important. Is that if I believe at least, if you're a really great speaker, and I think that term is is defined by so many different people in different ways, and so this is my definition: a really great speaker is someone who can get people to remember just one thing. But they remember it a day, a week, a month, or a year later. You don't have to. The good news is that I am freeing everybody from this overburdened responsibility of getting all these things in. They got to remember all of this. Like, no. If a year from now, they remember your speech and there is one thing that has stuck with them You are a rock star speaker. That's it. That is it. Now the thing is that we have to decide in advance what we want that one thing to be. We need to support that throughout our speech, right? We want to edit out anything that doesn't support that one thing. Um, And that's why sometimes people have a hard time with speaking because they try and cram so much in. It's like you, I have spent 30 years acquiring all my knowledge if I try and spend 60 minutes in a keynote speech and how can an audience digest 30 years worth of knowledge in 60 minutes if they get one good juicy nugget I'm golden and they'll invite me back next time
0: you're I'm telling you you remind what you said reminded me of a number of different things but it definitely reminded me of an article that I read in I believe it was the association for talent development magazine some time back. And the author of that article said something to the effect of, or wrote something to the effect of what great speakers do. And that's what, I remember that's what he wrote. It was, if they take away one, two, even three things, but one is fine. But the key was, if they're talking about it hours, days, weeks, or even years later, you've yeah. done your job and that's, that's what you it. want. That's what yeah. you want. Yeah. That that's is a whole
1: goal because you're remembered and you're not just remembered. You are remembered as someone who brings value, who brings insight. Right. Um. I remember speakers who I remember because their one thing was, it's all about them. And if you were to print up their speech and pull out every time they said, I mean my, that is the only thing that they conveyed to me. And my memory of those people are not of a great speaker, no matter how successful, quote unquote, uh, you know, by society's definition they may be. They just came across as a stuck up, self absorbed, you know, whatever. And if that's what you want people to take away, then I can't help you. Uh, but, but yeah, that's that's the thing. And, and I think that if we, if we, I think if we think of it that way, too, it's another thing that makes it less of a burden. It makes it less
0: scary. Yeah. yeah. Monique Maley is president of Articulate Persuasion. (laughs) She is a best-selling author, sought-after coach, consultant, and mentor. Monique began her professional life as a classically trained actor and spent 15 years in the theater and film industry. Over the past 12 years, Monique's work with articulate persuasion has helped her clients to become influential and persuasive leaders. Her recently launched book, Turbulence, is highly rated and provides readers with tools and strategies to streamline their growing businesses or careers. She is a Techstars All Star mentor a coach with South by Southwest, a TEDx speaker and vice chair of Div Inc. And a total rock star. We need to add that to the list. Ah. A total, (laughs) total rock star. Everybody make sure you go get a copy of Monique's book, Turbulence. It is sold wherever you love to buy your books, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, all of those good places. So please yeah. get a copy of her book. Now, Monique, I have a question for you. For Do well, I have a couple of questions for you. So the first one is going to be a closed-ended one. Do you oftentimes find yourself presenting some of the same material more than once to different audiences over the course of several years? Yes,
1: well, I, yes and no. So well, I but you keep it fresh. That's the rest of the yeah, question, right? That's like the thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the subject matter, I've been, I've been working, I've had this business, as you mentioned, for 12 years. And, and there are common themes that have been happening for 12 years with within leadership and communication and all the things that I work in. But I am, I am not one of those people. I do not have a book that I send out, that's, that I print, that it's the same workbook or the same whatever for everything, I really always take extra time to customize to some degree, whatever my content is to the audience that I'm speaking to. Because sometimes there are things that I need to edit out. Sometimes I need to bring in a story or a metaphor for one group that's different for another group. Because at the end of the day, again, it's, if, I'm, if it's about them, then I have to make it about them. If it's super generic, it's very hard. And I'm sure you've you know, encountered this over and over again. And the thing that is a reality in speaking is that the more people that are in the room, the more generic a speech needs to be. The fewer people in the room, the more specific and precise you can be, right? So, but even with being a large group, if I'm in a huge ballroom um i still have to try and find a way to make it as relevant for as many people in that room as possible if i want to you know make sure that the event planners are happy make sure the company that pays me is happy you know obviously elevate my visibility potentially get new clients or whatever may come from that if i don't take some of the time to customize that um, i think that that's that's the thing you have to keep it fresh you have to keep it relevant Uh, I often think of it this way. you know, The Rolling Stones have been singing the same songs for a long time. They must be bored because they can't rewrite their lyrics. So you always have to find a way, right, to bring something fresh to it. And
0: taking into account who's sitting in front of you, I think is the only way to do that. And when you were talking about the larger the room, the more generality in which you can speak, presents Mm -hmm. itself, but you still want to find something specific, some kind of way to tailor the message. Here's what you do. Think to yourself, well, why did all of these people come together? There's some commonality, although it might be a room of 20,000 people, but there is some common theme that brought them together. Is it the purpose of the conference? Was it the location? Is it their industry? Is it? Mm -hmm. So figure out what is that common strength? And event planners are your friend with this.
1: They whoever hired you. You go back to them and say, what information can you give me about this audience? Can you tell me who was speaking last year and which speeches were well received and well attended? Um, What are the demographics? Is it mostly women? Is it mostly men? Um, Is it younger? Does it skew younger? Does it skew older? Are they all traveling from other places? Is it an all U.S. audience? Is it an international audience? Because that also informs, you know, there are certain Uh, phrases or certain examples that you can't use with one group or another. For example, for years, there were, I found a friend's example for so many different things that I was working on. Well, I can't do that. If I'm talking to a 25 year old's friend's examples, you know, fall flat. Let's be honest. They don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, But if I'm sitting there, if I'm giving a speech and it's mostly 50 year olds and I use the term Rolodex, They're going to know what I'm talking about. So even little things like that, that you can just swap stuff out to keep it fresh and relevant, but your event planner is your friend. Don't, don't think, not only don't be afraid to ask these questions of them, you're not burdening them. You are getting information, which is going to make them look good later.
0: So they are happy to give you this information. Go ahead and ask. Exactly, exactly. And if nothing else, fall back on the conference theme. And that is Mm -hmm. the the Uniter, right? You made me think about something when you were talking about how, depending on the age of the people in front of you, and how some little small reference can fall flat based on your generation or the perspective from which you're speaking. You reminded me of when I used to teach. I started teaching back in 2002. And I taught for, oh my goodness, I think about 16 years. At any rate, One of the universities I taught at was an online university. And I remember writing something, whatever. I told the students to reference the text or something to that effect. They thought I was talking about a text message. And this was maybe in the year, maybe 2006 or something like that. And I'm talking about, no, the text in the textbook. I'll never forget that where they're sitting here like, text, we don't even have your cell number. Well, we didn't text you. What are you talking about? You didn't text (laughs) us. <laughs> yeah and now and now that's the problem.
1: Now they're they're out of the play. Right? They're they're off on a tangent. They're not in your speech and you've lost them. It's like having an audience watching a player watching a movie. If there's if you're in the movie theater and some couple two rows over starts having a fight, you're out of the movie and you're in their fight now and now everything falls apart. So anything that can get them out of the story Another thing that's really important in terms of keeping it fresh, you may be doing the same sort of theme, the same general speech, but you, in thinking about who your audience is, I had a client who was a doctor giving a speech, generally the same theme, but he gave it to a room full of doctors and he also gave it to a room full of lay people. Well, he couldn't talk about it the same way because his colleagues, they had a language that these lay people didn't have. He could have shortcuts with them. What was important to them was a bit different than what was important to the lay audience. We can't be using jargon with them or we lose people, all these sorts of things. Now that sounds hard, but actually the minute you sit down and you, instead of the first thing people do when they wanna do a speech is they open up a PowerPoint. And I'm just gonna ask everybody in your audience, if you've been told you have to or you want to go give a speech, please, 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 please don't open PowerPoint because that is not your speech. You have to decide what your one thing is, outline what supports that one thing, and if you need to create a deck later, that should just be your supporting materials. I think of a deck like the backup singers to the main singer, right? People do not buy the tickets to see the backup singers. That's just to add a little color and context and reinforce something. Um, Ah, So again, I free you
0: from PowerPoint and Keynote. <laughs> I love that analogy. I was on a podcast recently and I remember being having a question about powerpoints, the uh, slide decks posed to me and my opinion on them. And I said they're great if they're done right, but here's my big point when it comes to powerpoints and keynotes and any kind of slide deck. There is nothing more electric Engaging, energizing, exciting than you. So <laughs> I need. Well, and to if it could all be that. put in a deck, why are you there? Hello. <laughs> why are
1: you there? You are the star. You are the star. You're all your AV can fail, and you should still be able to stand there and give of yourself and of your knowledge and of your insight and be meaningful to the people in front of you. If you can put all that information on a text, just email it to people. You save yourself a lot of time and energy. That's not <laughs> what people are paying for, right? That's not what people are going out of their way to sit down and listen to. But I think exactly. it's it's I think people use PowerPoint as a as a buffer. Right? Yeah. It's almost like um people who have their script in front of them they're tied to what they wrote, right? It's, it's not that they have to look at their script because they probably don't, but there is safety of being behind the paper, being behind the deck. Um, it's the crutch. And yeah. I will tell everybody, if you do one speech without any PowerPoint or without, you know, note cards or anything, the time you do one, well, and well just means you brought value to the audience and you spent your time and energy focusing on them you'll never go back to presentation you know the standard presentation thing it's so freeing and it's so the the feedback you will get yeah the outreach you will get will reinforce
0: right. keeping that up over the long haul right right you make me think about the people who will stand behind those lecterns and and i get it it's it's there's some there's something safe about it. Having right. that barrier. It's like, if but you attack you, me,
1: I've got some defenses. Like this is right, my, right. this is my
0: big wall of defense. It's like, but why once do you need you, to defend yourself? But once you can get, build up that courage, build up that comp- confidence to move away from being behind that lectern. Once you can do that and just feel free to move about and move with the flow of your presentation. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're going to feel a difference in the energy of your presentation and the effectiveness of it and your audience members too. So challenge yourself, challenge yourself to say, I am going to let go of some barrier or some crutch or some whatever, whether, and and maybe with the slide deck, maybe it's not abandoning it altogether, but maybe you usually have 60 slides. See if you can cut it to 30. Yeah, maybe the key isn't
1: even I mean, yes, keep it shorter. But I would just ask audience if you're if you're still going to use it or if you need to use it. Sometimes we're doing a presentation. We have to give the sales numbers or whatever. Have that be the last thing you do, not Mm -hmm. the first thing you do when you're preparing. And Mm -hmm. when I go to when I back in the olden days, when I used to go to cocktail parties, I, I barely remember them. But I did used to go to those. Um, when I would go to events and people would find out what I do and they'd say, oh, well, you know, what's the one tip you would give about public speaking? And I always tell people, uh, you're not going to want to do it, but it's really easy. And that's take the time to prepare. And people often don't find a process for preparing themselves in a way that is helpful to them. Because at the end of the day, if we take the time to prepare and we know exactly what we want to say, we know that what we're going to say is valuable to our audience. We don't have to memorize anything because we know it; it's already in your head, right? You're not memorizing. It's not like an actor memorizing lines somebody else wrote. It's all your information. And you can go out there and you can be at ease. You can be authentic. You're not going to try and be like somebody else or say it the way somebody else. That's what preparation does for us, and so if you, if like in college, if you cram for an exam, there's only so much you can do for yourself, and you're going to be stressed on the day of the exam. That's not going to be your best work. If you give yourself the bandwidth to make sure who's my audience, what do they need to know, what's the one thing I want them to take away? Here are the things that support that, and then practice that out loud so you just hear yourself doing it over and over again. You can just release the rest of it and focus in on them. And you can actually start to enjoy being a speaker.
0: I cannot disagree with you. I am going to give you an opportunity to ask me a question in a little bit. And I know that is your big tip for the audience, but I want you to think about another one because I want them to walk away with one more fabulous strategy from you. So. Couple of things okay. there. One, right. we get to all right. So question. I can't think later. of both
1: simultaneously. So let me think of the first one. No, I don't one. want you
0: to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let me ask
1: you a question. Oh, oh okay. I,
0: I was going to okay. give you some time, but no, let's no, know. no. Because this
1: is no, I, this is the one I like. Always like to ask people. Yes. Um. Because I often time when people talk about poet speaking, they talk about negative experiences and things that didn't okay. go well, and that was really hard. So I would rather know. What's the most fun you ever had giving a speech and why was it fun for you?
0: Whoa, that's a hard one because Monique, it's a party every time I present. Let me try to most fun, most fun, most fun. Well, I can't think of one in particular, but I will say this. Anyone where I have the audience on their feet, leaning in, smiling, thinking, talking, turning. I remember a lady ran into me at a hospital in July of 2019. She remembered me from a presentation I had done in June or July of either 2017 or 2018. She just instantly was like, oh, I remember you, you had a standing and we had our arms in the air and we were shouting and I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. And she, and, and she remembered what we were doing. We were talking yeah. about, we Her. were talking about the, the power of body language and how it makes a difference in just the energy in your voice. you yeah. And and and, so, and she. You said, were able
1: had- to imprint with that positive energy. What you were talking about at that time imprinted. I mean, there's scientific. Like I could geek out about the science of all this, and your audience yeah. doesn't want to hear that. If they want to know anything, I'm happy to. They can email me later. But because I can geek out. But yeah. it helps yeah. people imprint when they're having a positive experience, when they're enjoying themselves. And I yes. think that that's. And I and I love your answer. That because what what you're talking about is. The dialogue of public speaking. Yes. So we think of people to, who are nervous about it, think it's a monologue. It's about <sighs> I'm standing here saying something and I'm going to start and this is the middle and this is my slides and this is the end. And again, if we go back to this idea of it being a generosity giving endeavor, we are constantly checking in. We're making sure, th- and they are informing us how they are doing, they are informing us that they are engaged. And that allows us to then tweak what we're doing. You know, years ago, I remember a company hired me to come in and do a big speech for a group of very young um, salespeople that they had on their team. And they were straight out of school. And the leaders of this company were all older, older school. And so there was already a break. And they really didn't let me speak to these folks in advance. I wanted to kind of talk to a couple of them and get some insight. So I kind of went in there blind thinking, okay, I think this is what's going to be valuable based on what I'd heard from leadership. Well, I got in there and 10 minutes in, they were all on their phones. I shut down my slide deck. I sat down in a chair and we had a conversation because whether you call that a speech or not, it doesn't matter. The point is a speech is a conversation. It is a dialogue. And they will inform you and then they can feed you too. that energy starts to come back. You send them energy and they send energy back to you. And that really helps everybody stay engaged and imprint ideas and memories. So I love that that's how you define your most successful or your most uh, enjoyable speeches.
0: Right. It's, it's, it's those where the audience is on fire. They're wanting more. They're saying, we can't wait to see her again. Those are the best ones where they're, they're walking out and they're, they're talking or they're texting, saying, oh my goodness, I'm in this session. And let me tell you what I just learned. Or they're, they're going back to colleagues or they're reaching out to me saying, wow, that session was so great. I, I want you to speak to my colleagues. I was at a conference. And so only a few of my colleagues were there, but I want to bring you into my team because I learned so much. I mean, I took 10 pages of notes or what have you. That's when I feel like I've, I've done my job. I've brought value. If you're walking out, and you've got all of these notes, you've got all these conversation pieces, you've got all these ideas for what you're going to do differently Monday morning or the next day, That that's what's enjoyable. That's
1: it. That's your one that's thing. Me- that's
0: the thing. That's, it sticks with them.
1: It engages them. I have right, a client right. who used to be nervous at speaking, and we work together, and she's amazing now. And she decided that the way she, her metric for how successful a speech was, was how long the line was if people want to talk to her after speech is done.
0: There you go. I love that metric. I love it. <laughs> I love that. I never consciously thought about it that way, but that is gold. That is because if you sucked, everybody true. left the
1: room. Nobody came up to you afterwards, right? There was something about it that didn't resonate for them, but it, because it wasn't about you it was that you didn't bring something that was valuable to them.
0: Right, exactly. And I like that other example you gave where you got up, you were doing the presentation, 10 minutes in, people are disengaged. It's not and how you, you shifted, you made that shift. You switched yeah. gears and said, okay, wait a minute. So everybody, it's not about checking the box, saying, okay, oh. done, I, I made the presentation. Doesn't matter if anybody listened. Doesn't matter if anybody laughed. Doesn't matter if anybody took notes if anybody posed questions none of that matters check the box done did my 60 minutes no yeah. you want to get away from that i get it i get it when you're nervous right you're it feels very personal <laughs> it's
1: yes right. it, it feels very personal
0: it. but it's not
1: about you it's about the material and if you, when you can people walk out that. of a play or out of a movie it's not because of the actors mostly it's cuz they don't like the material so if you can realize that you're not taking it personally, and again, we are all speaking on things that, things that we know. So it's not like the information isn't already in your head. You just have to think, how can I tweak what I'm talking about to be relevant to them?
0: What do you usually speak on, Monique, and how, how, right. how do you bring the, the fire? So
1: interesting, and really, awesome, really everything I do is communication, but nobody yeah. hires me for that, Right. So um, I do a lot of speaking um, at events for women, especially around uh, the challenges and confidence, imposter syndrome, what I call internal mindset or your internal narrative, that conversation you have with yourself and how to have it in a way that's productive for you. So that's one. When it comes to founders of startups, I do a lot of speaking on um, investors, investor pitching and how to get money. So, that conversation of how to get buy in, how to tell a story, um, how to be clear and, and have conviction. So, these are all really communication based, but they depend on the audience with which I'm speaking. I do a lot of uh, conversations around conflict and let's figure out a way to engage in this and manage this so that it's productive for everybody. And I am not the motivational, inspirational, type speaker. I am. I love to be really tactical in the way I speak. I love to give people like things to go back to their desk and try. That's what is very enriching to me. I am in the process. However, right now I'm gonna be doing a TED Talk in March and it has been a long time since I've given a speech which is really more personal and much more, I would use the term, it feels very intimate Um, and it requires a little bit more professional vulnerability than going to the well of the things I know so well. And I know I already have so much experience and that I know really value. This is, this is new terrain. This is new material for me because I want to make sure it's fresh. And yet what's exciting is that again, I'm thinking who's going to be there. How can I both in terms of the people in the audience and the people who watch these videos later, how can I leave them with a a new framework, a new idea, try something differently, do something differently that might make the world better. And um so that's how those are the kinds of speeches. Right? They're they're broad, but it's um the foundations are the same.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Everybody make sure you check the show notes for how to get a free storytelling chapter from Monique's book, Turbulence make sure you check the show notes to get the information on how you can get that free chapter that free storytelling chapter from her book Turbulence and then once you read the chapter go buy a copy of the book monique last piece of advice for oh, listeners yes for listeners on how to own those microphones
1: gosh I, you know i i don't want to overwhelm people so i just i really I really encourage everybody to see speaking. Well, first of all, again, if we go back to this idea, you've already been speaking in public all day long. Whatever you did today, if you left the house, you were speaking in public. Or if you were on Zoom, you were speaking in public. So just getting out of that mindset that somehow public speaking is something other than what you already do every day. It's sharing your wisdom. It's sharing your personality. It's sharing your knowledge. It's sharing you. Um, In a way that is valuable to them. And, and if we, if we reframe it like that, then there is nothing to be afraid of. Right, there really is no fear. If you're afraid of being you, then that is another conversation for a different type of podcast. (laughs) Um, But I want people to be free. uh, Because speaking in public can be so valuable, it can be a way to energize, to motivate, to support, to get buy in. Um, It can really increase visibility, it can drive business, it can be a business development tool. There are so many reasons why everybody should be doing it whenever they can, that if we look at it as something full of opportunity and free of fear, then the world gets to share you. And why wouldn't we want that?
0: Mm, the world gets to share you figure out what is that one thing that you want your audience to remember what is that one core message and then develop your conversation around that and just give them all of you because that's what they want oh Monique Maley, this has been so much fun it's Thank you. been great
1: fun not every podcast is a, is a dialogue <laughs> intensive so I sure appreciate that it's a lot more fun to, um, to be able to have, again, everything is a dialogue, but sometimes, you know, there's nothing coming back on the other side. So I'm grateful to you for that. Thank you so much. And I uh, help, hope this provides some, you know, good things for your audience and that they just get out there and do it and don't overthink
0: get out there and do it and don't ever think overthink it that should be a t-shirt or a bump a sticker or something a presentation <laughs> title get out there and do it everybody Monique thank you for joining us on this episode it has been again an absolute pleasure a lot of fun thank you so much everybody thank you for tuning in to this episode until next time make sure you always own the microphone